0: So chapter 52, I don't even remember when we started Jeremiah because we did take a break for a little while um, when we got to chapter 25, um, but here we are, I feel like there should be a, a party or something, um, not that, you know, going through this, uh, we're so excited to see it in, but, you know, it is a milestone, it is a milestone, you know, it's, it's taking out the book of Jeremiah, that's a chunk. Uh, it's not. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, in chapter fifty-two, it kind of seems um, a little out of place and a break in the storyline. It is a break in the storyline. Uh, it serves like an appendix to uh, to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, the very end of chapter fifty-one, we found the words, "Thus." Far are the woods of Jeremiah. So, in the chapter we're going to be in this morning, this last chapter, there is no mention of the prophet's name at all. Uh, it's a recap. Uh, the text in chapter fifty-two seems to be taken um, from Second Kings in chapters twenty-four and twenty-five, um, and even a lot of it has already been uh, touched on in Jeremiah chapter thirty-nine. So it's a recap. It's a um, going back in and coming back in and, and retelling some of the more important parts of the story that we get out of this book. Um, so whoever it was that added this material, we can kind of discern what their motives were. The, the main intention was to reinforce Jeremiah's status as a prophet, because these things came true. In fact, it is believed, just because of the timing, at the very end of this chapter, we're going to be talking about um, how one of the kings was reinstated. Well, not not reinstated. Was brought out of prison, uh, released from prison, and was allowed to dine at the, ba- the king of Babylon's table. Well, that didn't happen for a long time. Um, many years after... Uh, Jerusalem fell so this is definitely an appendix that was added if you look at the Septuagint this comes after if my memory serves correctly after chapter 25 now again it's, it's the last chapter in uh, the text that we have um, but uh, it is a definitely a retelling of things So I'm going to break this down, and what I'm going to use is the way to break it down. The outline here is, I just, frankly, I borrowed from the Bible, um, the ESV, um, and their own, the pericopes that they set up, uh, the little subheadings they have. So that's how I'm going to break down the text, uh, all 34 verses. So the first 11 verses, um, we see the fall of Jerusalem being recounted. Um, So let's just start there. Verse 1, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, I'll just break there for a second. You can see how this could have been something that would come from 2 Kings, because again, it's almost verbatim. All right, picking it back in in verse 2. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out from his presence. And Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it. And they rebuilt, rather, and they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the 11th year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled out and went out from the city by night by the way of a gate between the two walls by the king's garden and the Chaldeans were around the city and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered before him. They were, then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah at Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains. And the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. So, as mentioned before, much of this already was stated in Jeremiah chapter 39, uh, this very horrific end to this la- the, the end of the dynasty of the Davidic um, throne, not counting Christ, of course. So King Zedekiah um, was good King Josiah's third son. So he came from a very good king, Josiah. Well, scripture tells us that you know, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as opposed to how his third son, Zedekiah, did. Um, it's hard to understand for us, I think, to understand the will of the Lord when we see such a pattern in Scripture of, of God fearing men raising children who just did not fear God at all. Um, we read the book of Proverbs. Solomon, my sons, my sons, and um, well, at least we know um, Rehoboam didn't seem to listen very well to his his counsel. Uh, the same water that softens the carrot hardens the egg, right? Um, it's it's the work of the Spirit that has to do that work upon the life. Um, it's just it's interesting to see how be reminded how it is the work of the Lord upon a person's life to change that soul. Well, Josiah had named his third son Mattaniah uh, from birth. That was his name that was given to him. But it was Nebuchadnezzar who changed his name to Zedekiah when he made him a vassal king uh, after the rebellion of his half-brother Jehoiakim. You remember Jehoiakim? He was the infamous king who used all the money and resources of the people as they were taxed and as he was gathering tribute to pay to um, Babylon he would also use their money and resources to build himself things and they did not like the guy uh, well he rebelled and Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah in his place his half brother well as the story goes if you recall um, Zedekiah begins to feel his importance. He, he's getting bigger than his britches, you could say. So what's he do? Later, he decides to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar himself. Remember, he, he invited those neighboring nations to come in and to conspire against him. Nothing ever came of it, but eventually word got to, um, to Nebuchadnezzar, and you know, then they're all of a sudden there laying siege to Jerusalem. Not only did Zedekiah rebel against Babylon, but he had also given his word in an oath in the name of the Lord. That he, And you can see this in Jeremiah chapter 37. He gave an oath in the name of the Lord that he would be faithful to Babylon. So I also broke an oath and he gave in the name of the Lord. So an evil, an evil king. Nebuchadnezzar had enough of his games. In the ninth year, therefore, uh, in Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, they they laid siege to Jerusalem. Now the siege of Jerusalem, um, along with the the resulting famine, um, which was common, obviously, because you're starving the resources of the city, um, it kind of differs on how long a siege lasted. It depends on how your scholars time the events of things well at the very least it lasted 18 months a year and a half uh, but the other way of calculating it and I'm not going to walk through how they do that but another way you can come up is more of a, a two and a half year siege uh, which is kind of the the way that we went from it as we walked through um, the book of Jeremiah because in between that time uh, Egypt came up and started causing trouble so they had to break away uh, and deal with Egypt. Uh, Babylon had to break away and deal with Egypt so there was a pause in this two and a half year siege Um, and it's also during that siege when um, or rather that pause when Jeremiah left Jerusalem to go visit Anathoth his hometown and and all these other problems started happening for Jeremiah but this siege lasted a long time Um, and though there's other accounts of it, um, and I'm not necessarily going to go into detail how devastating it was, but some of the worst features of humanity was revealed at this, because of the siege. What a man could do to another man was revealed in the siege in that city. Well, as the text reads, the final moments for Zedekiah before he was actually taken captive and brought to Babylon were quite gruesome. Uh, His sons slaughtered before his eyes, then his eyes taken from his head, poked out. Um, This not only fulfilled prophecy from Jeremiah, but even fulfilled prophecy from Ezekiel, uh, who was one of the earlier captives taken to Babylon um Ezekiel had prophesied that um he would be um taken to Babylon but he wouldn't see it of course you're going how does that make sense until you find out well because your eyes are going to be removed from your head so um it fulfilled not only Jeremiah but Ezekiel's prophecy as well all right uh next section in chapter 52 um, is 12 verses 12 through 23 and this is where uh, we have a, a retelling of the temple being burned now again, remember this is taken verbatim parts of second from second kings and and even parts of chronicles as well um, of this retelling of one of the the worst times in Israel's history It says, beginning in verse 12, "...in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the, the bodyguard, who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard, broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poorest of the people and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the artisans. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen and the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord. The Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried all the bronze to Babylon, and they took away the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the basins and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze used in the temple service. Also, the small bowls and the firepans, and the basins, and the pots, and the lampstands, and the dishes for incense, and the bowls for drink offerings. What was of gold the captain of the guard took away as gold, and what was of silver as silver. As for the two pillars, the one sea, the twelve bronze bowls that were under the sea, and the stands which Solomon the king had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these things was beyond weight. As for the pillars, the height of the The one pillar was 18 cubits, its circumference was 12 cubits, and its thickness was four fingers, and it was hollow. On it was a capital of bronze, the height of the one capital was five cubits, a network and pomegranates. All of bronze were around the capital, and the second pillar had the same with pomegranates. There were 96 pomegranates on the sides. All the pomegranates were 100 upon the network all around. Now, I'm sure as they came in and witnessed the splendor of what Solomon was able to create, um, how the Lord had gifted certain men to create these things out of bronze and gold and silver, Um, I'm sure it was a a sight. I mean, we're reading here a list. It kind of reads a bit of mundane for us a little bit, to be honest. But these were amazing things to behold. Well, this is a time that sunk deep into the memory of Israel. The day when Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the Imperial Guard, He sets on fire the temple of the Lord. Sets on fire the royal palace and all the houses of important people in the city. Um, We know because of uh, Babylonian chronicles as well that this happened on August 17th of 586 BC um, which is the 10th day of the 5th month as we see in verses 13 and 14. Uh, This becomes um, also an unofficial day of fasting in Judah as uh, they made their own traditions as a people um, as they were captive and they continued on for some time. It was burned into their memory. Of course it was. Of course it was burned into the memory. Um, I am told that the severity and the results of this, this fire It can be seen still today from some of the excavations on the east side of Jerusalem um, overlooking the the Kidron Valley. Um, It's now referred to as uh, the burnt house, that section uh, that can be viewed, uh, this devastation. Of course, I've never seen it with my own eyes, but um, just thousands of years later, still seeing the, the parts of the results of that. Well... Nebuzaradan he takes a second group of people into exile. Um, some of the poorest people, the rest of the craftsmen, uh, anyone who had useful skills, he took, leaving back just enough to, to keep the the value of the land going for the king and for the, for Babylon itself. Um, it was, you know, was, if you remember when we talked about this earlier when we went through these this account, um, the thought was, you know, it's important to, to keep that land going to some degree because it could be a staging area for f- for future battles for Babylon, and they need an area to come in and be able to eat and, you know, support their troops as they go off and do something else. Um, also, we covered... Um, how he took all these articles again, the, the gold, the silver, the bronze, uh, the, the two 27 foot high pillars, you know, the 18 cubits. Um, those pillars were named, Solomon had given them names, Jacob and Boaz. Um, and they stood on the, the porch to the temple. Again, I, I can only imagine how, what it looked like. Um, and so those things were removed, and, and all was taken to Babylon as spoil. All right, moving along in our text. Verses 24 through 30. This is the the exile of the people to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Sariah, the chief priest, and Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three keepers of the threshold. And from the city he took an officer who had been in command of the men of war and seven men of the king's council who were found in the city and the secretary of the commander of the army, who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the midst of the city. And Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. And the king of Babylon struck them down and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was taken into exile out of its land. This is the number of the people whom Nebuchadnezzar carried away captive. In the seventh year, 3,023 Judeans and the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captive from Jerusalem 832 persons. In the 23rd year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judeans 745 persons. All the persons were 4,600. So, not really much to expand here on this section, uh, but that you know, verses 24 through 27 uh, we see recorded in Second Kings chapter 25, um, pretty much verbatim. Uh, but instead of this text going on to relate um, the governorship of Gedaliah like it does in Second Kings, uh, we're given the details of the number of the ones taken. Um, space in the text is given to mention a few notables like Saraiah, the chief priest, Along with Zephaniah, who had been the second priest, if you will, and then the three keepers of the threshold, or the doorkeepers, um, taken into captivity. You got to wonder, what kind of job is a doorkeeper that's worth taking that way? And they're official. Um, definitely, there's something to it that we're not seeing. Yeah, brother. Sorry, what? Logistics people. Okay, very good. All right. Um, so he they took these, and they also were killed at Ribla. Now Riblah again was where um, Nebuchadnezzar was. He, he, he that's where he was while the siege was being finished, and the battle, and the cleanup, and the destruction of Jerusalem was happening. That's where he cast the judgment. All right. Uh, This last section, um, verse 31 uh, through 34, we see uh, Jehoiachin released from prison. And in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and the 12th month, on the 25th day of the month, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, graciously freed Jehoiachin, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. And he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put off his prison garments. And every day of his life he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king according to his daily needs until the day of his death, as long as he lived. So there we have it in Scripture. Um according to his daily needs, until the day of his death, as long as he lived. So, this chapter, it gives a retrospective of approximately 37, uh, 30 years, approximately. Um, especially considering, as it goes into the future with Jehoiachin. Uh, beginning with the account of that siege... And then with what this king, Evil Merodach, does for Jehoiachin in releasing him. Uh, The name Evil Merodach, which is kind of, you know, you go, wow, you must be a really bad guy to be called evil. Um, It means foolish Merodach, Um, man of Merodach. Now, that, that is their god. Uh, Marduk is another way it would be um, translated. Uh, Basically, one who worships Merodach or Marduk. Um, His reign was very short. Um, He only reigned for about two years. Um, So Jehoiachin, who was released, um, he was about, they estimate, 53 years old. And he was released um, after having been exiled for 37 years. So you can imagine what that was like coming out of a Babylonian prison. Um, this, this Babylonian king who released him, he was assassinated by his brother-in-law, um, who himself came to the throne and ruled for about four years. Um, but according to the text we have in, in Scripture... It seems that Jehoiachin's kind treatment continued under this new ruler as well, because it had until the day of his death. Um. In Babylon, dying in Babylon, uh, which, if you remember, when that prediction was given by Jeremiah in, in chapter 22, it would have been received with um, at least for the ones who took him at least half serious with um, dashing their hopes because they were hoping that they would see the, the reign uh, the dynasty of, of King David continue but it did not happen, it never happened God God had other plans through Christ well there we have it the end of Jeremiah it's, it's all over, Jerusalem's fallen uh, the only good news is that Jehoiachin is released, that we see at least here in the text. Um, and what this is a testament to is, uh, at least in Jehoiachin's release, is um, we have a kind and merciful God. who remembered Jehoiachin, um, and he desired to continue to bless the descendants of David, and he did so in this, in this forgotten king. But the promise plan of God did not come to an end. Of course, um, we sitting on this side of history have the benefit to see that it really is a blessing that we get to see and read this from the perspective of prophecy fulfilled. That's that's no small thing. Uh, We see the Lord is still in control. Um, And he continued to work through his... Plan of redemption through Christ, through the ultimate Son of David, um, who entered the world, and to demonstrate God's mercy and grace. Now, what I would like to do here, as we conclude here, is just kind of share some some of the key things that I think kind of stands out in, throughout the book. Well, we, we know Jeremiah; he died as an old man, probably in Egypt. That's tradition holds to that Um, he was a very brave and courageous prophet who stood up to some tremendous um, peer pressure Um, his words are still with us today because God's word endures forever he wrote a very long and difficult book uh, but You can't help but glean from his life and ministry some very clear lessons um so you know i want to i've captured some highlights um reading through some of the things that some commentators have mentioned and um, i want to share them with you well one of the first things that kind of stands out is that in hard times we must hear and heed the word of god they definitely went through some hard times and i'd rather learn from their lesson and the lesson of others then have to learn it myself Uh, we need to hear the word of God when it's not something we want to hear Um, in hindsight it's very clear and obvious to us that the leaders of Judah did a very stupid thing in resisting the word that was delivered to them by Jeremiah judgment was coming upon them Because of their sin. And they weren't going to be able to negotiate their way out of it. Just like they thought they had been able to for centuries. Uh, Thinking the mercy, you know, again, mistaking the mercy of God as acceptance of what they were doing. They needed faith in God's word and obedience to God's will, just like we do. We know that, you know, God promised them. Had they confessed their sins and turned to God and submitted to um, even the judgment God was bringing through Babylon, being Nebuchadnezzar, that they would have been able to at least save their lives. They probably would have even saved the temple and the city from being destroyed. If they would have just submitted to um, the, the captivity that was inevitable because of the centuries of sin. but they didn't heed the word of the Lord. Uh, Another thing I think stands out is that from Jeremiah is the the true prophets of God are usually, if not always, persecuted. Now, we don't have prophets today as as they had in the Old Testament. Um, Finishing up with John the Baptist um, who actually uttered the words of God um, today's prophet is someone who boldly speaks the word of God in our in our Bible that's the closest thing we have but it is very easy to want to be soothed by those pleasant messages like the leaders of Judah did with the, the, the messages of the peace prophets and not accept the harsh words of what God says in his word or what we need to see change in our own lives and in the life of the church because what are the human heart wants to rest instead of repenting. It wants to get comfortable instead of growing. Um, it wants that peace instead of dealing with the sin that causes grief. Now thankfully the Lord is faithful to chastise his children but he also casts out the unbeliever so that's another important lesson to gather from this Uh, true prophets of God are pretty much always persecuted another one is God's servants occasionally have their doubts and failings Jeremiah certainly had his own remember Um, he was weak before God but he was bold before men in the strength of the Lord uh, the Lord told him very, at the very beginning of his ministry that he would have to make him strong and that he would have to continue to be faithful or else he would suffer the curses that are, him, that were becoming upon the people himself. Um, we know that he despaired a time or two, not his finest moments. Um, but he listened when God told him what he needed to do. And he obeyed God. Uh, he stuck with it and he continued to serve the Lord. That is a, a very good lesson for us today. Um, and it's a, such a blessing to be able to see that. And, um, and know that it still happens in the lives of God's people around the world. When We have our own um, ways that, that suffering comes upon us here in America. Um, sometimes it's much harsher in other parts of the world, but instead of always worrying and praying about those things not happening in our lives, we need to be praying and asking Lord for the courage and the faith and, the, and his strength to stand in those times. Jeremiah certainly did. Uh, another thing that I think stands out is it, the. it isn't always... It's. The important thing isn't always success. That's not the goal. It's faithfulness. Um, By many people's standards of what ministry looks like, Jeremiah was a failure. He preached for some 40 years, and only a few believed and obeyed his message. He only had a few friends that stood with him. Encouraged him? Just think about that. No no wonder this man despaired. Um, His record would not have impressed many of today's church candidate committees or mission boards. Uh, And as we've read some of Jeremiah's deepest lamentations, we see that he had failed a time or two. And that he thought, rather, he failed a time or two. When God was just doing what he was, said he was going to do. They were not going to listen. It's one thing to hear it, but it's one thing to experience it, right? We know this. Um, but what God saw in Jeremiah was a faithful servant. Oh, it's so easy for us to believe the lies of the devil in our own flesh to think that we are failing when we are really trying to be faithful, Um, not trusting in the, in God's overall plan. Well, just because times are getting difficult. That's, it's not always because of sin that that happens. Yeah, sometimes it is, but it's not always Jeremiah in the book is, is a good example of that, that the Lord has a plan in, for those difficult times. So he was uh, you know, an instrument in the Redeemer's hands, if I could borrow a title from Tripp's book. And that's what really counts. It's not about success. It's about faithfulness. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And that was Jeremiah. Um, perhaps Paul had Jeremiah in mind when he wrote that. One last point to bring out um, God is king and the nations of the world are under his sovereign control that is very clear in the book of Jeremiah God's sovereignty you know nothing catches God by surprise uh, nations rise they fall they eventually suffer because of their disobedience to the word of God uh, the same thing goes for people who claim to know him but refuse to obey him which is certainly the case for the leaders of the shepherds of Israel. The Apostle James writes uh, in chapter 3 of his letter that teachers will be judged with greater strictness because of the knowledge that they profess. That's a warning to teachers. Likewise, Israel had a knowledge that no other nation on the face of the earth had of the one true God. God. And there was responsibility that came with that. They were supposed to be a light to the other nations. But that blessing actually became an occasion for chastening because they sinned against such a saving knowledge. Be careful that that doesn't become your legacy. Uh, It's a very solemn responsibility for people to claim to know God and profess to do his will at the same time. By the grace of God, may we fear him and walk humbly before him because what he's revealed to us and what we confess to believe. All right. That is it, folks. Let me close with some prayer.